you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 11. It's also on page 7 of your bulletin. Um, I'll admit that sometimes the book of Ecclesiastes is uh, more difficult to understand than at other times. I suppose that's part of the problem with trying to read and understand the words of either the wisest man to ever live, apart from the Lord Jesus, or at the very least, one of, one of the wisest men ever to live. <laughs> it's a little uh, daunting. As I worked through this text this week, I admit I was a, a bit distracted as well. Uh, we spent most of yesterday going through Rachel's things and deciding who got what and what was donated and ever, all that kind of stuff. And it was a difficult day and a difficult week leading up to it, even as it weighed on me and ate at me. And so I struggled with that and struggled with this text. Um, it was a lot. And so have mercy on me this morning. As I don't feel this sermon, you know, it's fine. It's okay. The Lord will use his word. And that's my hope. Um, but it was a difficult text to wrangle with. Uh, I am a fool. I'm not as wise as the preacher and I'm trying to understand the words of him and amid the busyness of life and loss and teaching students who are ready for summer. And it's just hard. But we're all fools and we're all trying to understand God's word in the midst of life and loss. And the Lord is faithful, even in the midst of that, to send his spirit to lead us into all truth. And the Lord has caused this passage, even in its difficulty, to be a comfort and joy in the midst of everything going on. And so I want to share some of what I've gleaned with you all this morning from this passage. So I'll read it and then pray. Ecclesiastes 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would use my words this morning, Lord, to strengthen our faith, to encourage our hearts, Lord, to motivate us to live and to move and have our being in you, to put away sin and follow holiness, Lord. We pray that your word would be effective, that it would not go out void, that your Holy Spirit would be at work convicting us of sin, encouraging us in righteousness. Lord, may we have great joy in who you are and what you've said and what you've done. In Christ's name, amen. So last fall, Rachel and I went out on a little date uh, to Bridge Street. We had a gift card to the Cheesecake Factory, which uh, I've only been to once before, but we decided, you know, let's go, let's go to the Cheesecake Factory. And we put our names in, and it was going to be like a 45-minute to an hour wait. It was ridiculous. And so we decided to walk around and visit the stores at Bridge Street and all that. And 
We ended up in Barnes and Noble. And I hadn't been inside of Barnes and Noble for a long time. And it was around Halloween-ish time. It wasn't Halloween, but it was kind of around there. But even still, I was uh, kind of shocked by the overwhelming number of books on witchcraft. Uh, books of spells, tarot card decks, zodiac horoscope stuff, Wiccan rituals, and more. It was oddly prolific. I mean, you know, I can I imagine a few books or a section, but it was just everywhere. And it struck me as profound in a way uh, at the time. Now, our culture and we are in the midst of a great time of uncertainty and unsteadiness. Uh, many feel that, and all of us want control, power, to have a good life. And when things are beyond our normal power and control, we tend to look for other things that can give us that control and lead to the life we want. And it makes sense for unbelievers that they might turn to you know, witchcraft instead of the Lord. And while witchcraft is an abomination, the underlying motive is understandable in a sense. We may not be tempted to run to spells and rituals to exert control over our financial future or love life or what have you, but maybe we feel the desire for control and run to more socially acceptable forms of sorcery instead of looking to the Lord. We may pore over the portents and omens of the newspaper or headlines, hoping to find a prophecy to lead to our financial success. We may study the stars and planets, hoping to know when timing would be right to earn whatever we're looking for. We may try to seek a kind of spell, the perfect combination of words, the perfect tone spoken in just the right time to uh, not speak truth and uplift others, but to benefit ourselves in our own cause, regardless of the hurt or lies we may say. We may laugh in witchcraft and other weirdness and play it off as the powerless playthings of pagans, but when we consider the motivations behind the use of such things, all too often... I know I, and maybe you, are guilty of the same thing. We feel the uncertainty of this world. We want joy, and we seek control and power to bring us that joy. I know I just use more hidden, and therefore, and socially acceptable, and therefore more insidious, in a way, means to achieve, achieve those ends. But we need not run to such things when we have the Lord as our God. When we live in his world, when we have his word. And his word in this passage this morning reminds us that, yes, life is uncertain. It is wild and wilder still. But it is a gift from God to be enjoyed for his glory. And so I think we'll see that this morning as I want to look at the uncertainty of life, the joy of life, and ultimately the certainty of life. So firstly, let's look at the uncertainty of life. The preacher starts out, with several statements illustrating the uncertainty that follows us every step of life here on this earth, from big things to little things, life is fraught with uncertainty. No one knows for sure what the next second holds. Anything could happen. A meteor could fall out of the sky. Uh, I could start coughing uncontrollably. Uh, someone could burst through the doors. You never know what's going to happen. Much less every minute, the next minute, the next hour, the next year, and on and on and on. James knew this. That's why he told in his, uh, the, his audience in his epistle come now you who say today or tomorrow which will go into such a town and such a place and spend the year there buying and selling but you don't know your life you're a vapor 
circumstances. You don't know what the future holds. You, you have no power over your life. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You've, our lives are fraught with uncertainty. I don't know about you all, but I love roller coasters. I love them. I enjoy them. Uh, I, I love the thrill of them. Um, I've loved every roller coaster I've ever been on, except for one. There's one roller coaster that nearly broke me, and that is Space Mountain in Disney World. And the reason is incredibly simple and silly. Every other roller coaster I've been on in my life, I could see the track ahead. For all the craziness and drops and loops, I could look ahead and see exactly what was coming and know exactly where I am and where I would be. And because of this foreknowledge and imagined sense of control, I could enjoy the roller coaster. But Space Mountain, for those of you who don't know, is entirely in the dark. You can't see the track. You have no idea what's coming up. You have no idea where you are, what's going on, how much longer the ride is. Things could be going totally normal, or you could be milliseconds away from slamming into the wall. No idea. It's just dark. I hated it. <laughs> I thought I'd love it. Uh, but that simple change of not being able to see what's coming, the introduction of uncertainty, turned something that should have been a delight and joy into a terror. I was terrified. I wish life were like a normal roller coaster. And sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes the Lord gives us insight into what uh, is coming, uh, and that's part of what made losing Rachel uh, easier, in a sense, than it otherwise might have been. God was gracious to show us what was up ahead on the track, not uh, the timing, not exactly when or how, but just we knew what was coming, in a way. And that was an act of mercy. Uh, God knew my temptation to want to know, uh, and he blessed me in that. And we got to enjoy the time we had left in a unique and glorious way. But all too often, life is a lot more like Space Mountain. Crazy, insane, and you have no idea what's coming. Big or small. And the preacher reminds his audience of that using several illustrations. In verse 1, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. It's a weird illustration, but cast your bread upon the waters is likely a reference to shipping grain. If Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes, this makes sense. We know in 1 Kings 9 that Solomon built a fleet of trading ships and traded grain with Tarshish and others. Um, regardless, the preacher is making a point about wise living in an uncertain world. We don't know what is coming. And the appropriate thing to do is to make sure to prepare for the worst while hoping for the best. And so the preacher recommends diversifying risks and investment because you don't know what disaster is coming. Which we know is good wisdom in our lives. We have the modern expression, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And we recognize the, the validity of such advice. You never know what may happen, and so make sure you're not ruined in one fell swoop. Because disaster certainly does happen. We live in a world marked by tornadoes and hurricanes, droughts and wars and plagues and financial crises and more, and all these rock and shake the very world we live in. And there are, of course, more personal disasters, losses and illnesses, car wrecks, house fires, failing marriages, injury, and more. When we look at all the disasters around us and the uncertainty of what may or may not happen, we can be overwhelmed, in a sense. 
You can start living in constant fear of what might happen, what might be around the corner, if we're going to slam into the wall in just a few seconds or not. We can feel the world is totally random, and at any point we may be hit with disaster. But the preacher doesn't leave us there. He reminds us the world is not random. There are clear rules. We don't live in a nihilistic mishmash of randomness and meaningless. We have a God who has ordered the world. So we can have hope in the midst of the uncertainty of life. Yes, life is oftentimes too much like Space Mountain, but there's still a track. (laughs) There's still uh, order, even if we can't see it. And the preacher gives us hope in that. In verse 3 and 4, he points out some... uh, natural laws God has made. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south, it lies in that place. The preacher's reminding us that while we don't know for sure what's coming, we serve a God of order who has given us a reliable and regular world. We can look and see if the clouds are full and know that they will empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls, it will lie where it's fell. It's not going to suddenly jump around and reappear in different places. It's going to stay there. And just as those two things are certain and fixed, uh, the one who sits around doing nothing will get nothing, uh, the preacher says. The future is uncertain, but that shouldn't lead us to nihilism or absurdism. Instead, that should lead us to action. But the action we take is not because we're so sure about what's going to come, but rather it's grounded in faith in the God who made the world, who upholds the world, who establishes it. Disaster will come. And the future is uncertain, but the Lord is a God who encourages us to live and move and have our being in a regular and ordered world that we can rely on and know that he keeps on the tracks. One of my favorite psalms I've been singing a lot lately uh, is Psalm 93, and it hits on this theme. In Psalm 93, the psalmist says, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. The world is established. It shall never be moved. The floods have lifted up, the floods have lifted up their voice to you. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. The world is God's world. And all that occurs is by his decrees, which are trustworthy. He designed the tracks. He knows what's coming. He knows what this world is. And he is good in it. Though it may feel like the floods are lifting up and threatening to drown us, He is mightier than the thunders of many waters. The preacher sums up this section by saying, you don't know how God works in joining body and soul in the womb. It's been a point of theological contention and argument for just about as long as there's been people in theology. How How does the soul work? Where does it come from? And preacher wisely says, I don't know. You don't know. We don't know because God doesn't reveal it to us. You don't know how he works in everything he does. He doesn't tell us everything we want to know. But we do know he does work in everything. He is there. He is working and upholding and establishing the world and doing things. And just because we don't know what, why or how doesn't mean he's not there. And therefore we can have confidence to work and prepare for the future knowing that God knows the world. He knows what's to come even if we do not. Nothing is uncertain to him, though it is often for us. And this leads to the joy we can have in life. Despite the uncertainty of this world, the preacher encourages us to have joy in life. 
beginning in verse 7 uh, down through verse 9, he spends a section of time encouraging his audience to rejoice, to delight in this life. Life is uncertain and disasters strike all too often, but the preacher doesn't want us to live a life of worry or fear or dread. Not only is the world ordered and known by God, but life is delightful. The world is delightful. We sang that in our very first song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, the, this beautiful world God has given us. While there is uncertainty, there is great joy. And I love the way the preacher shows this and the imagery he uses in verse 7. Um, just struck me th- this week as, as I was preparing this, the language he uses where he says, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for eyes to see the sun. And I love that. This idea of, I mean, I don't know about you, you can't just go out right now and open up your tongue and taste light. Um, but I love that metaphor. I love that imagery. This light being sweet, being delightful, being something uh, like honey or sugar. It, it fills you with good things and it's pleasant for our eyes to see the sun. One of the blessings the Lord has given me in losing Rachel um, is the timing. Uh, he could have taken her at any time, but his timing is never a coincidence. It's always intentional. To lose her just as spring is beginning and life is sprouting all around and the sun is shining more and more is a huge blessing. If it had been summer, I think the heat and mugginess and mosquitoes uh, might have worn at me as well as the, the, the lack of work and the, the empty days. If it had been fall, uh, I think the shortening days and the dying world may have you know, hit me a little harder and whew, if it had been win- winter, well, that would have been unpleasant all around. But the Lord knows. And the Lord is not careless in what he does. And he gave this time, uh, he brought this time now when the sun is shining. And it's pleasant to behold it where the sweet light. Yes, there are disasters and worries and sadness in the world. But gosh, light is sweet and this world is delightful. God has given us a beautiful, crazy world that is a joy to live and move and have our being in. The preacher calls us to rejoice in this life given to us, despite the disasters, despite the sadness and darkness and weeping. Those are all real and worth considering, and they tarry for a time. But we ought not let them remove our joy. The preacher says in verse uh, 8, So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Yes, sorrow will come, but weeping will come may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This life God has given us is full of sweet gifts and delightful things. Bread to strengthen man's heart and wine to bring gladness. Flowers of the field arrayed more beautifully than Solomon in all his glory. Beautiful animals to amaze and feed and enjoy. Children, a heritage from the Lord like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Brothers and sisters dwelling in unity and love. uh, lovely as Mount Hermon's dew and precious oil. Stars which declare God's glory and handiwork and sing his praises and light which is sweet and the sun which is pleasant. Yes, this world is uncertain and dark at times, but the life we've been given and the world we've been given to enjoy it in is a joy that calls us to rejoice in and through our sorrows. While life is uncertain and we should rejoice and enjoy our lives, the preacher beautifully brings both these points together with one final counterpoint to both. And this is my last point. In verse 9 and 10, 
specifically verse 9, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Against the uncertainty of life, the preacher gives the one certainty of life, death. And against the command to enjoy life, the preacher uh, gives a warning against enjoying life in sinful ways, the certainty of judgment. You will die. Take a moment, breathe that in. Let it sink into you, because we're so quick to run from it. We will die. And there is no bargain you can make. There is no game of chess or dice you can win. There is no potion or pill you can take. We are helpless against this enemy. All too often, whether young or old, sick or healthy, we run from this reality, and we don't feel the truth of the fact that death is certain, assuming the Lord tarries. Our death is coming, and with our death, our judgment. You and I and every other child of dirt will stand before God to give an account for the use of the life given to us. Every idle word will be required of us. Every moment of selfishness will be weighed. Every lie called to account. Every thought laid bare. We will be seen and known fully by the judge of all the earth who does right. The books will be opened in every secret moment, every corner of our heart, Every thought and temptation will be writ large. You will stand bare before the eye of the Lord, and what will you do? And the preacher just kind of leaves us here to sit in this expectation of judgment and death. He brings some hope and good words in the next chapter, but that's not my chapter. Uh, but for now, he simply leaves us with this unsettling, unsettling certainty. You will be judged. I will be judged. And we've all sinned and fallen short. If God, God should mark iniquities, who among us could stand? We have earned his indignation by our lack of trust, our uh, running after control, our witchcraft, either proper or in essence, our anger, our selfishness, our lust, our gluttony, our bitterness, our slander. All our sins earn his anger. And who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the heat of his anger? We will be judged, and who can help us? That's where this text leaves us this morning. Life is uncertain, but there's great joy in it. But there's uncertainty and joy both. Uh, but the the, the incer- but the uncertainty and joy both end in the final certainty, death and judgment. And surely this is a great vanity, or rather, it would be, were it not for what comes next in Ecclesiastes, and even more so in the rest of God's Word. How can we trust God's goodness in this crazy, uncertain life um, when we know it's just going to end in death? How can we enjoy whatever life we have here when we know we're going to be judged? We will be judged, and who can help us? The answer, of course, is our Lord Jesus. We will be laid bare and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we will have to give an account, but on that day our plea will not be in anything in ourselves, but as First Peter tells us, the blood of the precious Lamb, without spot or blemish, who is slain. We will be given a robe washed in His blood. We will be clothed in Him. And the judgment of God will pass over us because His anger and indignation already fell on Christ for us. Yes, we will die and be judged, but we can have joy knowing 
that Christ took our judgment. And we can have joy today in this life knowing that God is for us and with us. And that even though the space mountain coaster crashes into the side of the building, God will continue to give us joy all the days of not only this life, but for the life to come forever. Brothers and sisters, life is wild and wilder still. It is uncertain, but it is full of great joy and delight. We should prepare for the worst and endure the worst, but know for certain the best is coming. And the world God gives us calls for our joy. And there, um, and we can have certainty in Christ that we will know joy fully and forever. If you would, join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this passage. Lord, we confess the uncertainty we feel in all sorts of various ways and all sorts of situations and time frames. Lord, what tomorrow will bring, what the next year will bring, what... Whatever may happen, Lord, we feel that and we repent of the ways where we seek to have control, where we seek to force our will upon the world. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Help us to relinquish our control and trust in you, to run to you, Lord, and to delight in you in this world you've given us. Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us great hope and joy in the midst of of uncertainty and death and judgment and sorrows. Lord, may we be a people who weep and rejoice in equal measure. In Christ's name, amen.